0: You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. Today, we are talking about the environment. I know lately we've been getting into issues that people would call political, though I often, you know, these kind of issues that we've been talking about just don't seem political to me. part of that reason is because I find the nature of all these conversations to be in the Bible. So I find them first off to be biblical conversations that need to be had on ethics and morality, uh, but then uh, recognize at the same time They take on political tones, either because the world is having political conversations about them or because politics have to make uh, um, rules and regulations as to what they believe and how they act based on what they think about them. So, well, the conversations, things we talked about lately, like refugees and abortion and today the environment all have political overtones. Uh, we get into it right now because we're getting into the Bible, and if we get into the Bible, we find that the Bible forces us to talk about these things and to understand what the Bible has to say on it. So today we're going to talk about the environment, and I'm excited because today you don't have to just listen to me Babylon, aimlessly. Today you get to listen to me Babylon, aimlessly with someone else. And uh, I'm excited about this. If you know Aaron and Matt Schott, uh, then you know them because they used to be a part of our church. In fact, I still consider them a part of our church at heart. Um, They are currently over in Scotland. The only reason they're not at our church right now. And that's because Aaron wanted to go get a master's in what I believe is environmental science or some kind of, uh, you know, subcategory within that. So uh, because we're going to talk about the environment, I wanted to bring her in in a little bit to have her talk more about it. I'm excited about this because she knows a whole lot more than I do. And I'm excited because it means not only do you get to hear someone you know talk about it, someone you trust talk about it, but you also get to hear, you know, another Christian who's done a lot of studies in this talk about it. And I think that's incredibly important because Unfortunately, Christians get a bad rap when it comes to uh, environmental conversations, because we appear like we don't care on a lot of these topics, Well the rest of the world does. Uh, the rest of the world would consider it moral, a moral and ethical issue, and Christians sometimes give the appearance, and I know this isn't always the case, but we sometimes give the appearance uh, that we, we don't care. Uh, So I'm going to do a little devotional. I'm going to talk about the reasons why I think we don't care and then give you some theological reasons as to why those reasons are not great reasons. (laughs) And then after we finish up our devotional, we're going to get into a conversation with Aaron and just let it go where it goes from there uh, to hear another person we know and love and trust and who's seeking after Jesus show us uh, why we should be inspired to care about things like the environment. So Let's start with the passage that is inspiring this conversation in the first part, uh, which is Genesis 1, 28 to 31. Now, just to catch us up to speed, in case you haven't been listening lately, uh, in the last verse, God created man and woman. He created people in his image, and now we see that part of the way in which we image God, because image is better understood as a verb, we are imagers, imaging God to the world. One of the ways in which we practice being the image of God and imaging him is by taking care of the planet, because that's part of the mission that God put us on, Uh, not only to be fruitful and multiply so that the whole earth is filled with God's image and that we take the image out of Eden and into the rest of the world, like we talked about on last week's podcast, but we also uh, have this mission to take care of the planet that we're a part of. And that's what part of it means to to really practice his image. So here's 28 to 31, and it's going to start with the verse we talked on last week and then expand into what we're talking about today. So God just created humanity, and it says this, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that is the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So this right here shows us this beautiful image of how Humanity is meant to not just be fruitful and multiply, like we talked about last week, but fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Now, a lot of people today either take this passage to mean um, that we can just do whatever we want because we're kind of the image of God and the masters here, and it's all got to obey our will. We have dominion over it, if you will. Uh, it submits to us, if you will. We subdued it. Uh, you know, we we kind of add those kind of uh, um, inflections into those words. Uh, sometimes we believe that, or or if we don't believe that, sometimes as Christians, we seem to at least live that way. And of course, this is often true of all human beings or many human beings, it's not just true of Christians, but because we have this verse in our background of our ideology telling us, like, we subdue and we reign over and have dominion over, we sometimes can take that out of uh, uh, the understanding, like, it's more like, you know, you're kind of the kings and queens of this planet. God's saying, I've made all the earth, and it is very good. And now I put you imagers of me, you human beings, in charge of it all, and there's this expectation that, that you take care of it the way that I would take care of it. So, like, environmentalism is as big of a topic as it was uh, all the way at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, like, they understood, like, the rest of the planet's not just like no little deal. You can just do whatever you want to it. You can burn the whole thing down if you want. No, the Bible understood like you as imagers, it's part of your job to take care of this thing, whether it's animals, plants, uh, whatever have you, uh, be good stewards of of creation. In fact, uh, there's a book by C.S. Lewis called the Pilgrim's Regress. It's not my favorite allegory from him, uh, but one of the one of the uh, allegorical examples in that book that really stood out to me and still catches my attention today is the fact that God is made out to be an allegorical landlord. Okay, so when C.S. Lewis kind of talks about God in his book Pilgrim's Regress, he talks about him as a landlord, and of course that should strike us. Uh, as a passage straight from Genesis there, right? God creates the land and then gives it away to someone else. In the same way, a landlord uh, might give you a house to live in. Uh, You know, there's a lot of expectations there. Is he ultimately taking care of the house? Yeah, sometimes in the landlord contracts, uh, they're to do uh, a lot of things, sometimes everything. But then there's also this expectation on the person who is inside the house to live up to certain standards, and understand that, like, if they break certain things, it stays broken, or they're gonna have to pay money to fix it, or so on and and so forth. It's it's not usually just like one-sided, where uh, the the person living in the house completely benefits, or the person outside of the house completely benefits. The landlord. You know, relationship is usually like a we're teaming up with each other in some way to understand what's reasonable on your behalf and what's reasonable on my behalf, and kind of coming into a contract with one another of, of what we're going to do. Now, allegory, you know, metaphors don't always hit it perfectly, uh, but that right there to me is just this this beautiful metaphor of what God's doing in Genesis he's created the land. The land is all his. It's all his. There's nothing on this planet that does not belong to him. Nothing on this planet that he has not created. It's all back to him in the end. But with that being said, he's given authority of that land away to someone else currently living in it. And part of the way, if you will continue with the metaphor, that we pay rent is to take care of the place that we're living in. Uh, He's made it and now he co-labors. We talked about that this past Sunday. You can check out our previous message. Uh, But he co-labors with us to take care of it. So sure, he sees it all. In fact, the book of Job when God uh, kind of gives a lecture in Job, he talks about how like, do you have any idea all the things I take care of? Do you have any idea everything I see uh, in all of the animals and everything that they're doing? It's all mine. I see it all. And we see even Jesus continues that conversation when he's talking about like, look, God takes care of of the grass in the field and the birds of the air, you know? How much more do you think he's going to take care of you as a human being, as, a, as the image of God? So right there we see Old Testament, New Testament, God cares about creation, and he continues to keep it alive and moving and so on and so forth. But because he's given authority to us to co-labor with him, that means we can also take care of the environment with him, but we can also hurt the environment. And this is where I think our theology gets a little wonky uh, because, again, we think of certain scenarios throughout the Bible, and the effects that we take from those scenarios are that we don't have to care about the environment today because of wonky theology between the two. So, for example, global warming. Okay, I heard uh, a politician here in Michigan a few years back talk about Global warming, and he said he didn't have to be concerned with it. The reason he wasn't concerned about it was because he believed in God. Now, the reason you would come to a theological conclusion that God would prevent floods of global warming from happening is because you would look at the Noah story, most likely, right? Because in Noah, God says, You know, I give you this rainbow, it's a promise, I'm never going to flood the earth again. But you got to pay attention there. God promised never to flood the earth again. The, the Bible writers understood that God brought the flood as judgment on humanity uh, and <laughs> and on the Nephilim and everything that makes that, as you see in Genesis uh, uh, 6. the Bible understands like that flood was a, a flood of, of judgment on how evil creation had become. It was not imaging God anymore. and the only person who got spared in that was Noah, was not uh, perhaps the most righteous man, he was just blameless in his time, and that time was pretty evil, so God still saw, you know, like, here's one imager who's, who's got it just enough right that I still have hope in humanity, otherwise everybody else has just completely failed, so anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. That whole flood story right there is something that God initiated to fulfill his purposes, God said he wasn't going to flood the earth again, okay? God did not say that humanity, therefore, couldn't make decisions that would get themselves flooded. Uh, Just think about any natural disaster that might fall back on humanity. We might do something that ends up hurting us in some way. Like, we still suffer the effects. God does not, like, protect us from natural disasters that we end up causing on ourselves, And I extend to you that theological understanding. Uh, If we know that we're doing something that's going to flood us, something like global warming, then we have to understand, like, that's not a conversation about God flooding the earth. That's a conversation about God co-laboring with humanity, giving them authority and power to decide uh, what they're going to do to the earth. And if the earth ends up getting them uh, afflicted in some way because of the decisions that they've made, Well, we might have to live with the effects of that outcome. That's that's how the world works, right? There are effects. There are causes and effects for things that we do while we live here in the natural realm. Now, maybe God will do something supernatural, extend some grace and protect us from those effects, you know, that's possible. I would never rule that out, but to some extent, just think of it within this Genesis worldview, you know? Uh, you, you, no one knows what's going through God's head, but maybe he's up there looking down thinking, huh, I put them in charge of creation. They actually have the knowledge from from the people who study creation. They have the knowledge that they're hurting creation and that they could end up having these great effects down the road, you know, uh, and yet they continue to do it. <laughs> I what is God going to do at that point? Is he going to protect us from the effects or what? You know? So anyways, I'm not even thinking like, you know, the whole earth being completely flooded. I'm just saying we will experience the effects of things that we do. That's true everywhere else in life. You need to understand it's true about the environment too, because the landlord has given his his stewards on the earth the ability to to do things to it, whether that be good things or an affliction of it. So there's a few words on the Noah theology that often fits into the conversations about things like global warming, okay? Again, just to say it simply, God said he wouldn't flood the earth again. He didn't say humanity won't suffer effects when it comes to flooding ever again. And if you think that we won't be flooded ever again in any capacity, you didn't grow up in the house that I grew up in. And walk through my basement every time it rained. <laughs> it's it was not pretty. It was not pretty. Anyways, uh, okay, so here's here's the other theological lesson that I think causes us not to care about the environment, and it has to do in this case not with Genesis, but with Revelation. So, not the beginning of the world, but the end of the world. A lot of people, when they read Revelation, they catch all these glimpses of the world just. Uh, appearing to be blown up and destroyed. Everything keeps falling apart. Pits are opening up and people are thrown into into these pits and there's fire and everything's just falling apart. And then if you read books like uh, Left Behind or, or uh, watch the movies of apocalyptic landscapes, it just kind of drills into your mind this idea that Uh, the apocalypse must be this story about all of creation blowing up and the whole thing is over and done away with. And part of what really enforces our thinking that that is how it's going to go down is because we've come to this assumption that uh, uh, the Bible paints this picture of us dying and going to heaven, and that's the end of it. We're either going to die and go up to heaven uh, or hell if we aren't following Jesus, or we're going to, uh, we're going to be raptured up into the heavens and not experience all the judgment when the earth blows up. But that's not the picture the Bible paints. In fact, Revelation is a story about heaven coming to earth in fullness. It's, it's redoing Eden. So in the beginning of the Bible, Eden was made and it started to fall apart, and it fell so much apart that when humanity sinned. Even the environment was affected by it. It was understood that, like, there used to be uh, no thorns. Is kind of what the Bible seems to say. But when humanity sinned, things like thorns appeared on creation, and and that wasn't originally the intent of creation. So that's the way that the Genesis writers see it. And and creation at this point in history is longing to be restored. Paul talks about how creation's groaning. It's groaning to be restored. And that's, that groaning is finally fulfilled at the end of Revelation. Because when Revelation comes around in Genesis 21, there's a new heaven and a new earth. Everything that was bad, everything that was destructive, all the thorns, all the thistles, all of sin, all of humanity, everything affected by the curse is done away with. And the only thing that continues to live on is that which had the antidote to the curse. The antidote is Jesus. And if you have the antidote, then the new Eden becomes the place in which humanity continues to dwell. It's, it's the restart button. In Revelation, the earth is not blown up into pieces and never seen again while we live off in the clouds somewhere and, and live in a spiritual state. In Revelation... The earth is restored. God's presence comes to the earth in its fullest form, so bright that God himself lights up the earth, and we come and we live in this new Eden, in this new Jerusalem, where God's people, those with the antidote of Jesus, because Jesus is the only one who can break the infection of the curse, they're the ones who live on in this state. Uh now, this kind of throws people for a loop because a lot of times we've been taught like, you know, we just die and we go to heaven. All we're aimed at is getting into this spiritual state. But again, and I write about this in my book, The Rush and the Rest. You just have to read a, a long chapter in there on resurrection because we don't have time to analyze the whole thing in this podcast. But in my chapter on resurrection, I paint a different view of what resurrection is, okay? Resurrection is not, uh, I was dead and now I'm alive. That's being raised from the dead. Resurrection is I was dead, but now God has put me into a new body. That is, Paul calls it imperishable. It's not the old perishable human body. It's this new imperishable spiritual body. But when Paul says the word spiritual, he means Holy Spirit led, not spiritual uh, as in like it's not a real body. No, there's this understanding that just as Jesus came from death to life into a new resurrected, uh, repaired, imperishable body where he is still alive in that same imperishable, resurrected body now, uh, so humanity will put that on too. So when the new heavens and the new earth comes, I believe, and uh, again, you'll have to read the whole chapter to really get into it because I know I sound crazy trying to summarize it real short, But the Bible seems to paint this very vivid image of humanity putting on new resurrected bodies, living in the new heavens and the new earth with the fullness of the kingdom of God. So if you think that creation does not matter because the movies and the books and uh, the little pieces that you Uh, partially read in Revelation, seem to paint the image of of the earth being burned up, being no more, not mattering anymore, then I would suggest to you that you're missing the fullness of what the Bible is communicating. Yes, when we die, we go to heaven to be with God. You only got to look at the story where God, where Jesus on the cross looks to the thief next to him, says, I'll see you in heaven uh, (laughs) after this. Uh, But there is this understanding the Bible paints of one day we come back and establish the heavens here on the earth in fullness. And if that's true, then guess what matters? The earth, the environment, it's not going away. It's still here. And as stewards of Genesis, we should care about it. And as stewards who have taken care of it all the way to the end times of Revelation, we should care about it. That's just part of how, how the Bible paints an environmental picture. Now, you might challenge me back on that and say, okay, Jamin, but that's a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation. Therefore, God's going to recreate everything. And therefore, as it currently is, you know, taking care of it, it's going to be everything that we've done to it will be wiped away and it'll be restored. Uh, I, you know, we don't know fully how it goes down in the end. We do know that God does create a new heavens, new earth, and everything is restored. So, that right there is a valid point. But I think it is invalid to say that, therefore, nothing right now matters. Therefore, the fact that God put us in charge no longer is something we need to be concerned about. I mean, you're preparing the earth for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to come and reign in. You're preparing the earth for. For God to come and dwell in, in his fullness, and the fullness of what he's going to do. So if you're a good steward and taking care of the house that the landlord entrusted you with, when the landlord comes to check it out, I don't know. I would say it's not a very spiritual thing, a very moral thing, ethical thing, polite thing. Use whatever word you want. It's just not a great image of God's Christians being like, oh, hey. Welcome back to your planet. We polluted it. We flooded it. We didn't take care of it because we knew that one day you would show up and, and do all that for us. You would come and clean the house. So thanks for coming into the house you trusted us with. We broke it, and now you can fix it. <laughs> I, uh, I extend that to you as a continuation of the landlord metaphor. I know you might say it's unfair uh, to what Revelation paints where God fixes it all. We can argue about that, uh, but I don't think just because God comes and fixes it all in the end, we therefore don't care about it now, because that's not true. On again, any other conversations. So, with that being said, let's summarize before we talk with Aaron. The Bible paints an image right at the very beginning where we are put to take, put, uh, made out to be the people in charge who take care of it, subdue it, and take dominion over it because we are the image of God, right? Therefore, the environment matters, and when I say environment, that is all-inclusive in my mind of everything. The animals, the plants, the earth itself, we're in charge of it, and if we damage it, if we somehow manage to turn a place into a desert, well... We may not be able to manage to turn it back into an oasis. So let's make sure that we care about uh, what we're doing to it. And this is true in the beginning of the Bible, and uh, the environment continues to be an important thing all the way at the end of the Bible when God makes it everything it should be. Uh, Just because it's remade doesn't mean it doesn't matter to us now. All right. So, with that being said, that's just uh, some theological background that I wanted to give to the conversation and into today's devotion. We are now going to chat with Erin. I want to hear her story. You know, why did she uh, pursue a degree in uh, environmental science, and and what led her into this, and what has she learned? What are some of the ways that uh, we haven't done a good job at taking care of the earth? What are some things that we can do to do it better? You know, these kind of questions and others are all the things we're going to jump into next. So don't go anywhere because we'll be back right after this. As I mentioned, we have Erin Shot. Erin, hello. Hi. This is like old times for us right here.
1: <laughs> I know. I was like, boy, have I been in this situation before.
0: Yeah. For those of you who don't know, I used to do a morning show on the radio. And I would call Erin up every time we had science questions, which was more often than you'd think. And Erin was <laughs> what we called our resident scientist. So she'd give us answers that she'd just make up on the spot. Or, uh, That's right. Yeah.
1: Or I pulled Do them from science.
0: <laughs> research first is technically what she did, and then she gave us <laughs> some answers. So uh, we've got her on the line now because, well, I've already explained all the reasons, but this was one question I had. I know there's a lot of subcategories in science. I said that you were a general um, environmental scientist, but I couldn't remember what the specific...
1: Uh, My master's is in environmental management with a concentration in conservation.
0: Mm. That's an epic title right there. (laughs) So you're the right person to talk to because obviously you uh, already know a whole lot about science, a whole master's worth of science, about environmental conversationalism, (laughs) conversations. (laughs) See, I've already forgotten. Uh <laughs> awesome. So uh well let's just jump in. You got your uh bachelor's in Spring Arbor or yeah, yes. bachelor's at Spring Arbor. You were at 1208 with us when I first started and then you guys moved to Scotland so that you could uh uh pursue your masters. Uh what what inspired you to go this direction into that specific field?
1: Um so actually it's mostly like my upbringing. So my grandparents own a farm And so I spent a lot of time just kind of outside in the dirt growing up. I was a dirt baby. Uh, And my dad owns a lot of property that's a lot of woodland. So I spent a lot of time growing up just like wandering the woods. So I, at an early age, I established this really strong connection with the land and with nature. I didn't fall into the environmental part until late late in college because I wanted to be a veterinarian for a long time.
0: Oh, yeah, that's
1: right. But... Uh, longer, but the more I started doing other things, the more I was like, this isn't for me. I want to do something that I feel like makes a change and something that I can connect with on a more personal level. So that's when I started to work with, uh, environmental stuff like composting, I worked for, uh, I tested compostable plastics. I worked for the department of agriculture on some invasive species projects, And that kind of led me to where I am.
0: Uh, Now, a little bit about your specific field. What do you use that in a job? What does that apply to?
1: So environmental management can apply to a lot of different areas. So one is just energy consumption. So how electricity is used, how we generate energy, where it comes from, that kind of management. There is the social science aspect of it, so that's used by like a lot of rangers, park rangers, how to manage the environment with respect to the people who use it, so how to maintain national park systems and other areas that are used by the public. Uh, Another is conservation, which is what my concentration is is in, and that can relate to places like reserves, non-native species conservation, Uh, just like any type of thing you're just trying to conserve where it's plants, animals, insects. And those are like the three kind of main branches that really have to do with it. So it's more just like you're managing the environment around you and the resources that come from it to the best of your ability. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you're, you're out of the state right now, obviously a lot out of the state. (laughs) So now that you've been gone long enough Would you say where you are seems to handle kind of taking care of the environment a little better? Uh, Is it specifically an American thing that's often off or big city type thing? Or do you feel like a difference, like people are more focused on it where you are as opposed to having grown up in America or anything like that?
1: I think that the focus is different. So in the States, a lot of our focus is on like, oh, preserving the trees and the nature and the woodland. Um, and here in Scotland, a lot of that is put on kind of the energy type thing. So they have a more like holistic approach. Like uh, I have to compost where I live. Like I cannot not compost. Like it's definitely they my taxes that I pay here pay for it. It's something that is encouraged and I have to do. Unlike in the States, it's we really want to maintain our large forest systems and our natural areas in a way that we're like, we're preserving it for the future, which is why we have such an extensive state and national park system.
0: Are you saying like, it's not like super enjoy it right now, more like we're going to need this down the road when we mess everything up. Is that, is that what you just Uh, said?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean more, I, I mean, kind of on some level. Yes. But I think in the States, they're more like, we want this to be like natural and want it to look like this and here because people have been living in scotland for like not counting the native americans because they've been living there just as long as we have but in scotland there's just been people here over every single piece of land there isn't a place in scotland that hasn't been touched by human hands Hmm. and in the states you can kind of make the argument that there is places that are less touched not necessarily untouched So we have kind of a touchstone to be like, this is what it should be like. So here it's kind of like a struggle of like, this country has been terraformed. So how do we put it back to a way that can be almost natural and enjoyable, but at the same time still beneficial to the people who are currently living here?
0: And that's why you have such a high expectation on taking care of like compost and things like that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Like that type of thing.
0: Okay. Um, Now with all of your studies and everything that you've been looking into, I'm just curious, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of uh, keywords you hear thrown around over here and whatnot, especially global warming has always been a hot topic and whatnot. But um, what would you say are some of like the top things that we need to start taking care of with the environment like as of today?
1: Well, I would say on a whole, whole country level, it definitely needs to be a top-down approach instead of a bottom-up. So you really need to put pressure on the government to be making these big changes because what we can do as people helps our small area, but we want to impact the earth as a whole because it's not just a state problem or country problem. It's a global issue
0: mm-hmm.
1: with climate change. Um, so a lot of, couple of things that you can do, or you can eat less meat, Aaron, uh, over you're, you're
0: breaking my heart already. You be careful. I you?
1: know overconsumption <laughs> of meat is like a really huge problem because the there the waste from that is a major factor to climate change, and it's not even like eat it twice a week. Just like eat it once a day. <laughs> Try to eat just less. But I'm also aware that that's a major source of protein, and it's really hard to kind of cut that off from people. So the other thing is like buy the reusable bags they have at the grocery store, try to do that. But major change comes from big places, so we have to put pressure on the people who can make that change. That way we can continue to live here and enjoy what God has created for us.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, What are some of the elements in, uh, you say, like animal waste or something?
1: Oh, Methane. Okay. Mostly was for animal waste. N- nitrogen deposition is a huge issue. So, nitrogen gets is usually put into things like compost that you can buy or like dirt that you buy for your garden. And you're putting more nitrogen in there than that's needed so that it doesn't continue to cycle throughout the atmosphere, it just stays in there. And that can affect the types of plants that grow, the plants that are already growing, like maple trees. Maple trees actually don't like nitrogen deposition. It kind of kills them off. So so as a state that really likes maple syrup, we wanna be careful about <laughs> <laughs> like the amount of nitrogen we're adding to the soil because that will kill our trees and that will make us sad. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that would do that. Okay. <laughs> this one this one's not gonna be helpful. Well, this is a big question. Uh, I had to get involved in some local politics in the past year just to just to work on editing like one rule, amending it. And I still haven't had it done yet with the group I've been working with. So politics, I know, are like a slow, big process. But what are some like, is it just like a presidential when you say uh, from top to bottom, you start there and you move down or like at what kind of place are we trying to convince or
1: push forward
0: to help with the environment
1: well the biggest thing we can do as christians is to support scientific research because i find that a lot of the problem is that we don't necessarily agree that that it is real Hmm. so your biggest thing is to support it on that level and then go to Like, whatever is easiest for you. If going to your congressman or writing them is too hard, definitely go at a more local level or state level. It's the people who make the laws that affect you. So, like, you trying to get involved with the city of Jackson, trying to change this one law, is really important. Because then that changes. And then places around you are like, oh, well, Jackson changed this. So why doesn't Chelsea change this? Mm -hmm. Or something like that. And then suddenly it's a statewide thing and then we make it a state legislature and then suddenly other states are following suit and then suddenly it's like oh well we're all doing it.
0: So just start wherever you can and, and move from there. Right. Uh, what do you think are some ways as Christians that like we could stand out in this? I mean I I usually find that Christians on this particular topic don't stand out much on it usually because our worldview is as I was talking before we got you on just the world's going to end eventually and nothing matters. So just let it all burn up. Um, but because of that, a lot, a lot of times the rest of the world stands out more on this issue as caring about it. Can you think of any, like just staple moves in which we can show people that we want to take care of the environment as well. And the reason is God. And I know there's a broad question here. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, just fine. take whatever i'm saying and say something <laughs> back
1: <laughs> well let's i'm gonna probably start really broad and then maybe probably center it a little more hmm. um the reason it's seems more like a secular issue is because secular is so here and now and we're like politicians and people who would affect directly are like this is happening here and now and it's so easy as a christian to just like look to the future and be like, well, it will be better someday. But the problem is, is that to someone who's saying like there's places in the Middle East that are used to be fertile 10 years ago, they're dried up now. Mm -hmm. It's so hard for that person who is having a very direct effect to climate change to be like, be like, no, it's fine. We'll look to the future when like they're starving because they can't grow anything right now. So it's important to acknowledge that this is happening to you. And we need to help you through it now that way later when something better happens, it's better. Like, yeah, the whole earth could be fertile right now. But when Christ comes back and renews it, it's going to be even better mm-hmm. than our best earth that we could make it. So don't we want to take care of it in a way and be like, this is the best we could possibly do. And it's still amazing. And Christ is like, awesome. Let's mm-hmm. make it better. But yeah like it's almost like you're not hearing the issues of the person who's being directly affected by it. So you have to you have to open yourself up to that because we have a future, but someone who might not believe the same faith as us, to them there is no future. This is it. This is all they have. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and you know the Bible obviously is full of plenty of passages about what we do to other people is what we do to Christ. So Uh, I think that's what you said. You're voicing one of the struggles that we have a lot of times on some of these things, because like things like global warming, you know, people have often been like, well, it's not my problem. Someone else will have figured out down the road. Um, But when we bring Jesus into it and realize like when we feed the hungry, we're feeding him. And when we don't feed the hungry, we're not feeding him. It does take into account. We know effects of what we're doing to the environment, what it will do to people down the road. And. That's something to remember. Like, we're we're doing that to Jesus too. If even though we don't know those people, even though they haven't been born yet, they're so far away, uh, we know what we're doing. So, taking in some of that responsibility. Um, where are some of the other? Uh, I know you're talking to me off the phone a little bit about some passages in the Bible, just things that have kind of inspired you and in, and bringing your environmental uh, desires together with uh, your Christian walk.
1: Yeah, uh, so let me start with uh, this passage in Romans that has meant a lot to me, just as a person in science. Let me find it.
0: Creation <laughs> groaning.
1: <laughs> yeah. Woo. Uh, actually, no, it's uh, Romans one twenty. for since oh. the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Hmm. Now I know sometimes people are like, Oh, is divine qualities like love and peace and hope. But also as a scientist, I think of things like gravity, inertia, um, other laws of nature. Like why does photosynthesis happen? Uh, why does my digestive system work the way it does? Like those are things that are invisible to me. And without like searching them out as a scientist, like I would never get to understand, like, how God's creation is so perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, how did God think of the way that my cells work? Or how did God think of the way that trees grow? Like, everything just works, and it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just, like, really amazing to me. So that is just per- my personally my, like, something that I always think of when I'm trying to do some type of research. Cause essentially science is at its most basic level is observation. You're like, why does this happen? And then you're answering that question. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's been, uh, the focus of a lot of songs I've written. Anytime I go out into a forest, nature for me is just a natural trigger for worship. Just, mm-hmm. I start looking at everything and I'm like, God's brilliant. How did he come up with all this? And then I kind of fall down a hole for like an hour (laughs) before I come back out, either having written a song or being like, man, trees are amazing. God's amazing. And those walks always end up being really long. But yeah, I'm on the same page with you with that.
1: Yeah. I think it's really important to remember that early science comes from Christianity. Like they were monks and abbots and bishops and abbesses and priests who wanted to know more about Christ. Like, the modern father of um, microbiology, Louis Pasteur, he's, he basically said, the more I study creation, the more I see God. Hmm. Gregor Mendel, the father of genetics, he was an abbot. Like, he, yeah, he was at a monastery. These things are part of Christ and they're part of science, and I feel like you can't really separate them.
0: Some of the things that Christians are even against when it comes to science or environmental stuff is, is created. (laughs) The fields are like, or the thoughts are created by former Christians, like the Big Bang Theory with Lemaître, even though, uh, someone else, he didn't really get credit. Now that we've looked at like his journals and whatnot prior Mm -hmm. to, it's like, Hey, this guy pretty much thought about it before a lot of other people did. And he was a Catholic priest. So yeah, that's, that's one of the things I always find strange is that, uh. We deny things when we could have got really good credit for it. And then someone else takes it. We're like, ah, bummer. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then we fight those very ideas, even though the rest of the world's like, these are genius. It's like, (laughs) we want nothing to do with it. (laughs) Well, you came up with it. We still don't want it. It's just funny to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know. I was like, I was just about to agree with you. I mean, that's just the whole of history can be like that. Like Galileo who said, oh, it's a sun centric. Maybe the earth isn't the center of the solar system. They're like, no, 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 no.
0: So (laughs) put them on house arrest. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, you were mentioning to me too, some verses out of, uh, Job, I think.
1: Yeah. So Job 38 and 39 really speak to me. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you because it's really long,
0: Do but it. I
1: often, <laughs> I often find that like when you read Job, you always think about like, Oh, the stuff that happens to him. And I often find that I had a professor in college who really pointed me towards this first, um, Dr. Chris Newhouse, if you're listening, uh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And he talked about, like, why am I an environmental scientist? Why is this so important to me? And it's because it's my religion. And that always has stuck really, really hard with me, where God is going through and talking about all the things he's done. And he doesn't focus on man. He focuses on what he's created, like the weather and... Like snow and hail and light, but then he also talks about the animals he created, like mountain goats, bears, the leviathan, the wild donkey. Like he just ostrich. talks about creation. The ostrich, yes, a huge. It's in part there. Of the it's ostrich. in
0: the Bible, right yes. there. Yeah,
1: it really is. And, or the hawk, and these all things he talks about, and he connects them to man. Like uh, in thirty nine twenty six, does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread his wings towards south? No, he takes flight because of the way I created him, so I have to protect the hawk because it's my religion because God created this thing hmm. and it lives here with me.
0: never took job into that uh, into that exact light. I think when I walk through forests, you know and I always get caught up in it that's what that passage out job always did to me it's like wow, God sees sees it all and he's so smart, but I never Quite applied that back to myself <laughs> to to have to be like, huh? Maybe maybe you should take care of that and partner with God in that way. He sees it all. Maybe you should too. Yeah, uh, that's good. Aaron, thanks for talking with us today. Uh, just one more time, I I know we've already covered this, but give us just the nutshell cell here. You are a scientist, an environmentalist, and a Christian, and in a world where. A lot of people seem to separate science from Christianity and even to some extent uh, the environment from Christianity because uh, in our mindsets, you know, it's all going to be gone one day or going to be perfected one day. So what do we have to worry about it now is a lot of people's minds. Just just say it, whatever you want to say, inspire people why you care about it, and why you want us to care about it, too.
1: Okay. well, one piece of advice, go outside every day and put your foot in some grass. Let me tell you, it does wonders for just, like, loving people and dirt. Uh, Secondly, it's just talk to people about it. It's important to talk to anyone and everyone. Tell your representatives, your congressmen, your local government, your friends, your family. Just talk to them about it. It's a change that affects us and will affect us now, and it's affecting people who are less off than us right now. So it's important to remember that Christ calls us to help everyone, regardless of whether or not, like, they're going to come to heaven with us. Um, Trees are great. Love trees. Science is part of religion. (laughs) (laughs) Trees are great. Love trees. Aaron Shaw. Science and religion go hand in hand. Like, I can't, like, Christ put us here. He made us caretakers of the earth, and he wants us to take care of it. He doesn't want us to just be like, It's fine don't worry about it. Like he specifically gave us that purpose and I am a scientist because it's my religion and it should be yours too.
0: It's good stuff right there. You pretty much covered everything that I talked about earlier. I'm about to just go back and delete it all and just (laughs) let you say it all in this podcast. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Aaron, thanks for talking with us. I know uh, the time between here and there is extravagantly different. It's uh, only five hours. <laughs> that's extravagant. You you have New Year's five hours before we do. You're in an that's entirely true. another uh, year. That's true. let me tell
1: you guys the future is bright.
0: <laughs> Isn't it getting dark over there right now? I mean, it's, it's
1: very dark right now. It got dark at four thirty because I'm in the middle of winter. Yeah, but I have very very long days in the summer, so I can't complain.
0: So that future is bright, but the future that... as of five hours from now is quite dark. So. <laughs>
1: Can't confirm.
0: Just want to clarify? Get your science right here. <laughs> All right. Well, our resident scientist at twelve oh eight Greenwood giving us a call. It's Aaron from Scotland. Make sure you tell Matt hello, and Will that do. we miss you guys. And uh, if you don't come back we soon, we'll too. be sending our uh, our people to get you. So just via saying,
1: post because it's cheaper.
0: The the post
1: the mail oh no i said post because i live here how
0: long have you been there what's a post (laughs) you mean the band or the serial post is that i don't know what she's talking about all right aaron thanks as we close out the midweek podcast today uh leave you with a song i was just talking with aaron about how i used to write uh, a lot of songs about nature This was one I wrote when I was very, very young and re-recorded it a few years back. We'll just go ahead and close out with that, and we will catch you next time on the 1208 Podcast. Find myself here again Tired and unrested From the endless hours I'm fighting all the. Sing your praise The skies echo the story Of your love's amazing grace The trees will the branches The grass will bow before The animals start brancing Leaving high up off the floor The clouds will come a-thrashing The lightning will strike hard The wind will stop thrashing When with you will soar so far The clouds reflect like sweetness As the sun will rise The birds you are black so I-